0: When the credits start rolling, but the movie keeps haunting you, Before, after. Then it's time to tune in to Dismembering Horror.
1: We'll talk about what worked, and also what didn't. We'll dissect every aspect. Maybe some of shouldn't. He
0: turned out to be completely unreliable asshole.
1: Take it away, boys. Hello, Tim. Hello, Ryan. And hello, everyone listening. Thanks for being here. To to what what she just said here to dismembering horror. All right, Tim. What are we What are we doing today? Hanging out, you know, just
0: relaxing, shooting some b ball outside of the school. We got we're a movie a couple, to talk oh, about. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. We're doing
1: that. We're Let's talking talk about, a about movie. the what was it thirteenth installment of the Halloween franchise. Yes, thirteenth. Lucky the- thirteen. Yes, the finale to the Blumhouse trilogy of the rebooted, revamped, revived Halloween films. We've covered the first two, Halloween, Halloween Kills, and now we're ending it appropriately with Halloween Ends. hmm Anything else before we jump into it? I don't know. Happy Halloween. <laughs> yeah, happy Halloween, everyone. It's a <laughs> Halloween episode. It's been fun, actually, I think, having... Halloween movies uh, well let's see it was last year then missed a couple years and then anyway we've had these movies to look forward to for it's right a handful of Halloweens now yeah. it's been fun and no more until ever again they're done
0: <laughs> this was the last one they're never gonna make another Halloween movie time will tell Tim oh mm.
1: we'll see what Maleka Cod does the rights have returned to him Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's no more Blumhouse films is uh, what Mr. Blum is saying. Anyways, all right. Well, we're already talking about it, so let's talk about it even more, and we can get in the, the groove and the mode here, or as we like to do, by watching the trailer. So here we go, directed by David Gordon Green written by paul brad logan chris bernier oh danny mcbride all right he's still on it and david gordon green halloween ends (laughs) Come on, let's go. There we have it, folks. Wow. All right. Wow. So next, after the trailer, we like to rate these films we watch per our rating system. Would Tim and myself tell ourselves to avoid, stream, rent, or buy Halloween ends? You know, what I would like to know is, what did I say for the
0: last two? Because I own the original, so that's a buy, Mm -hmm. and... I feel like I um would say buy for the the 20 what was it 2018 I know you said buy for the last one uh yeah so I am gonna stay consistent for once great I'm a buy <laughs> i I like it see i I we can talk about obviously the differing opinions that are out there about this but i thought it was great so everybody else is
1: wrong (laughs) (laughs) okay so you're just uh, referring to it seems like uh, maybe we have kind of a last jedi on our hands especially with this one even more than kills
0: yeah i don't know what it is maybe we'll discover it but it it doesn't feel like it's getting hyped up or people like i'm not hearing anybody talking about it overtly like it's certainly not getting the like Oh, my God, this is amazing. What a great finale treatment that you might have
1: expected. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about it, but not just saying not saying good things. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. I had a friend um, say he's sounded like his opinion was malleable. He wasn't quite sure what Mm. to think of it. Kind of needed to see it again. And then I have another friend who, like us, really enjoyed it. I can read his uh, review and summary. Uh, great. All right. Yeah, I agree. This is. I I'd, I prefer to buy it in a box set, though. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, for the sake of ease, yeah, man, just new slasher movies, fun. This was a a great conclusion. I thought. So if I said buy it to the others, then I'm going to say it for this one too. All right. Well. Could you summarize this film for us? Get us all on the same page. Maybe plug uh, the naysayers into how Tim viewed this film.
0: Yes. I would start by saying that we, we are bridging some time here. And we go back to 2019. Which, let's figure this out real quick. The original, not the original. So, the first in this trilogy took place in 2018, marking 30 years, 40 years, excuse me, after the original events. So it's a direct sequel to the original Halloween. We pick up in 2018, Halloween night, all sorts of fun stuff goes down. And then we pick up the following night in the sequel, correct? In I'm, Or is it a year later?
1: Oh oh in Howling Kills? Yeah. It's the same night. It's
0: the same night. That's right. Okay. So and then we carry into the following day, I think. Okay. Either way, it doesn't really matter. So everything happened in 2018 in the first two films. So we start this movie a year later, 2019, once Michael Myers has kind of seemingly just like disappeared after all of the events of that evening. And we meet a, a kid, like, whatever, 20-year-old kid or 18-year-old kid named Corey. He's old enough to buy alcohol. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's right. So he's named Corey. Uh, he is uh, babysitting a, a, a young kid named Jeremy. And Jeremy's a little bit of a punk. And they, you know, antics ensue. Jeremy locks uh, Corey in the attic. And then upon freaking out and trying to get out of the attic, Corey kicks the door open, hitting Jeremy and knocking him down a few flights uh, over the banister, and he dies, uh, essentially, in front of his parents. And so Corey becomes this sort of central character to the rest of the movie in that he's a pariah, you know, like people, he he got, he, he wasn't convicted of, of murder, but um, or manslaughter, I guess it would be. Um, but the town kind of feels like he's a sketchball and and the the theme is sort of that the town assigned the this kind of like anger and fear toward him that they that that Michael Myers disappearing, the void that that left was sort of just pushed into or onto. Corey to some degree, so he's become a bit of a what would you call him, a misanthrope. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, and he kind of has a, a shit life. Um, and we jump to three years later when, you know, our our lead um girl, final girl from the previous movies, Allison, and um, uh, uh Lori. Are living together now. They're, you know, Allison's mom and Lori's daughter have been killed, and so they're they're supporting each other. But Allison also feels this sense of, um, what would you call it? Displacement. You know, she doesn't feel like she belongs. She she's in a, her own way a pariah, and that she's like the survivor of this thing, uh, much like Lori. And so she she feels out of place too and she sees that commonality when she meets Corey and they kind of hit it off so (laughs) then (laughs) we get a series of sort of interesting events where Corey's kind of being bullied a lot Allison's trying to like pursue him as you know her interest in him and he's rejecting that to a certain degree and he comes across Michael essentially who's been hiding out this whole time in a sewer drain storm drain kind of thing and maybe in their interaction some magic happens you can make that argument but at the very least Corey feels kind of imbued with the spirit of Michael whether or not that's self-created or supernatural who knows um, and he starts seeking out some revenge and, and uh, you know, retribution, I guess, toward people that he feels has wronged him. So he's at the very least spurred on to go after people because he's now seen Michael Myers and and, and also didn't get killed by Michael. Michael's in a sort of almost hibernative state in this little sewer drain, he's still very wounded. Um, But Corey starts bringing him new victims. And it seems almost like anytime um, Michael kills somebody, he it, it like gives him a little bit more life. At least adrenaline. If you want to take everything very non supernatural literal, I think that's the angle you would go with that he's he's emboldened. Every time he kills. But you can really say it either way. You can. Totally. It's, I think that's the debate. Some of the debate that's going on. Anyway. Meanwhile, Lori is like, that kid's sketchy about Corey. I don't want him dating my granddaughter. That creates a rift between Allison and Lori. And turns out, Lori was right. Corey goes pretty psychotic. Uh, He clumsily attempts to sort of become a Michael Myers-esque killer. Um, We'll talk about why he is not. And um, this leads to him effectively leading Michael to Laurie and Allison, really to Laurie. And they have a a pretty intense finale of, you know, Laurie has to kind of bait and switch Michael and she has to fend off Corey and uh, and then Allison has you know there's a big shocker moment of Allison stepping in right after Corey has decided that he instead of killing Lori, is going to just kill himself and become some sort of weird martyr and like who knows um, and then uh, and then Michael and, and Lori go go toe to toe and guess what. Lori wins. Woo! Finally. <laughs> After all these years. And they, and they, uh, they put him in a giant-sized paper shredder.
1: <laughs> yep. <laughs> More or less. All right. Great. I think that summarized things fully so yeah. we can move on. That's and... the movie. <laughs> Whether <laughs> you saw it or not. We hope you saw it. We haven't said it for a while, but the spirit of our show is you've just kind of watched the film. It's fresh in your mind. Let's all sit down and dismember it together and dismember it. We will right now with our first section, What Worked. What
0: worked, what worked for you? What worked
1: for you? It worked like a charm. Smith. What, what worked, what
0: worked, what worked
1: well, Ryan. I guess just to start at the beginning, because I yeah. mean, that can be a, a good in a lot of the times here. And I, I mean, I have to. I want to set up my movie-going experience here. Where oh boy, Friday night. I was thinking, okay, I'll go see this Monday before like we record. No rush to see it. But then I thought, oh, you know what? I could catch the late showing at Man's Grauman's Chinese Theater in IMAX. Uh, I knew I wanted to rewatch Halloween Kills first like, I could catch that and still rewatch it because a friend was talking to me. Oh, we're going to go see it tonight. So that just kind of planted the seed and got me excited. So I I did my whole like thing, watched Halloween Kills, did my like traditional walk down the boulevard and uh, yeah, made it to this 10 o'clock showing, which is late for me these days of Halloween ends. And it was great. I had another experience that was kind of like a, a big return from return to theater screening that i had there when i went and saw the new james bond movie Mm -hmm. and just got totally like caught up in movie mode with all the james bondness and the opening and all that and it was so much fun to have that again with this film where i mean something that's so great overall about this movie is uh really having no idea where they were going to go with it so that's that's where i'm at too like And that, that can be like so many ways, how many years later it was going to be. Was it going to be years later at all? Uh, how much? How are they going to continue to toe that line of um, things being supernatural mm-hmm. or not? And then my biggest sort of almost requirement or curiosity for whether it was going to succeed or not is continuing all the ideas and themes set yeah. up in specifically more so the previous one. Halloween kills all these meditations on evil. So the first scene and the, yeah, I was sitting, got my, my primo seats. It was great. Uh, I was, I was just so into it. Like when it did the cut to the titles and it was like, Michael Myers was only there in so much as we, along with he, Corey, were afraid that this was the opening scene right. where he was going to get us, so to speak. All we knew then was that maybe Corey was just the first guy to get killed or whatever. You know? I had no idea. Well, and what we can say for sure is that
0: regardless of reality, Michael's spirit is in that scene. Yes. Right? And I don't mean literally, but like the characters are bringing Michael into the scene in their minds. Mm-hmm. Like the undercurrent of fear around Michael coming back because it's now been a year since the last time he was seen is in that entire sequence. Mm-hmm. And it and it motivates pretty much everything that goes on. So he's there even though he's not there. Yeah, like
1: we fully get why he's freaking out so much and it's just kind of fun (laughs) Where him in the him as someone who's living with a real michael myers and us in the mode of watching this as a movie and expecting him so just when it did the thing from the get-go continued that theme of like through our own fear that was sort of um uh you know initially set in by you know how many the, the 44 41 years ago before halloween night all this trauma that this whole town's been going through—that's th- immediately present when it right. cuts to credits. You're like, "Oh my god, it's doing that!" And it was oh, it's it the coolest thing. It was so unexpected too to do that. So it was that kind of just sweet spot—what you want from movies: unexpected, but doing exactly what you want, just in a way you didn't expect. Perfectly, yeah, subverting the expectation yeah. but maintaining the the world and all of the good themes so man when that yeah when the credits kicked up and also i was always looking forward to uh how they continue the jack-o-lantern thing i love that. It. <laughs> right it's so cool what are they going to do different each time just the music was blasting and it was so loud seeing oh, it, it was at the theater so loud in the theater that we went to as well we okay. were like oh my god good and i'm glad you saw it in theaters too i think yeah. that had a lot to do with it um maybe maybe not but um yeah i mean just more on that opening scene too i, I the parents i thought were, were were like it was really done mm-hmm. at, well done how they were acting i thought it was um is because like the theme throughout this, which is like so many horror movies we're au- always coming back to this. And this movie, it's just so blatantly about it is the inherited trauma, trauma, evil being passed forward. And yeah. what forms do evil exist? How does it pass on? So just immediately you could kind of get the sense with these parents that they are just kind of little little, little stress balls, or maybe you, you could get how they could raise a little troublemaker. Oh, yeah. Um, and then to have it, yeah, just just from the get-go. Okay, well, it's like... Th- feels like the kid's fault from one angle, you know, that he that led to his own demise, like he faked being murdered, like you, like, come on he knows about yeah. this town's history, he's old enough to at least know that, so just from the, that whole scene was doing that from the get go of not being able to easily place who is at fault there Well, and also, I I really like this this style of sort of setup that
0: the the undercurrent of what michael's existence has done to everybody is seen in sort of different ways so the parents the mom in particular is sort of projecting the fear of michael onto her kid and saying oh he's really freaked out lately Mm. he's wetting the bed he's doing all these things and she's saying it's because of michael like he's Mm -hmm. he's afraid of michael now how much it actually is, is sort of undercut by then him being like, once the parents are out the door, being like, I want to watch a scary movie. So it's like... And he says, oh, I'm not afraid of Michael. He only kills babysitters, not the kids. That's right. So it's sort of this, again, this inherited and projected fear that's happening with, with her generation because they more so lived through it and how that infects everything, right? And then the kid is you know he's acting out for various reasons that we don't really need to know it's just you know kids act out they they do things in opposition to what their boundaries are and you know they push those to see what they can get away with so in a weird way the kid is kind of playing into the fervor as well by being like oh i can scare this babysitter by you know carrying the torch of this lore along because everybody's so affected by it and so you've got this really nice push pull it's like nobody's really at fault but everybody's kind of they're all at
1: the mercy almost of the trauma that exists in the town mm-hmm. just to, to go broaden, i want to check in where you're at too with kind of like your expectations going in into uh yeah the the supernatural side of it all like, Because we had that ending with Kills where it seemed like he's he f- should be dead like if he was a regular human, right? But then gets back up and sort of has this feels like superhuman final murder of that, you know, kills off the whole posse, right? Yeah. I, I still think
0: that it's just enough that you can argue like we see in the world you see these examples of people seemingly doing superhuman things because of circumstance adrenaline like whatever whatever and you can i think you can still apply that you can get away with that explanation still and this movie i feel like kind of confirms it in a way he is still just a human being in that he's incredibly wounded Right. Three years later, and he's living in a hole and can barely do anything. So, like, the effects of that, he, like, to me, that says he's a human. He, like, is unusually strong and, like, you know, can take a lot. But that's, it's not superhuman to me. Yeah. It's right on that, like, edge.
1: Yeah, and And I like. I think that's fine, and that's just yeah. There, there's the broad thing that I just thought worked so well was. Thinking like, okay, maybe this is gonna go a crazy direction where they really do embrace. He's like zombie Michael Myers, or just you. You knew they were gonna do something <laughs> that would be crazy. They, but yeah, they had to do something bold and make a choice for this one. We mm-hmm. knew, right? And as far as the writing, the supernatural line, I thought was spot on because it's exactly what it did the whole time. Was just ride that line.
0: Yeah, and it. But it, it like it offers up an opportunity as the viewer to kind of say. I get to choose, in a way, my interpretation because it's not overt in one direction or the other. And I, I think that's really smart. And maybe what people are annoyed by, they want something that's more concrete. I don't know. But I like that, the sort of the ambiguity of it. um, And like how it also then thematically extends to the other characters in mm. particular Corey because it is still like the whole movie is sort of about the effect on people that what Lori would consider pure evil this thing that she repeats quite often how the pure evil affects everybody else and it and it does right but it doesn't it doesn't turn other people into pure evil it turns them into a sort of a lesser version of evil, a a version that is influenced by pure evil, but not pure in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a really cool place to live in for the film because then everybody is, you know, everybody is in that construct. Even, you know, even Allison, like her motivations are... Uh, it's causal, right? Like why she wants what she wants is based on the effect that the pure evil that Michael is has had on her and everybody else. Mm-hmm. So to me, this movie is more about effect. It's not about I don't know I don't know what the, what people wanted, but like they wanted I guess they wanted the first Halloween movie again, and it's like why well, I don't
1: need that. I can't, okay if we're getting into p- other sorry we're <laughs> referring to other people's complaints about it um guy I, I, the first one i heard was a guy who he just he I, I like him a lot he reviews um, physical media and stuff but and is a huge fan of this series but it was that you had someone else put on his mask and kill in it it felt like sacrilegious to him um and I'm trying yeah, to think of
0: I, I don't know why people have such a purity around this type of stuff. It's like who like the cop put
1: his mask on in the right. first one <laughs> and um, he got his head
0: caved in, you know? Like,
1: well, another thing my friend said, which is just so funny because it was the opposite reaction. He said, Right, I think this is just all like a, a long con of you trolling me. Cause uh, he said all the all the interesting thematic things that it had set up, it didn't do any of which, and I'm like, that's exactly why I loved it. I thought it did that from the get go, like we talked about with that opening scene. Yeah, wait, what? Mm, I disagree. Well, I mean, he's not here, so sorry if you're listening.
0: Yeah, I I just think that like one of the things that I think people are kind of coming up against is that there's there's a. I think that there is a tendency for people to want each movie to feel like the last. And that's, I think, not the right way to go in because to me, the first movie to the second movie are very different and obviously purposefully. You know, the first one feels like a reintroduction to where Laurie's state of mind is and how that's going to play out. The second one is totally off the rails insanity. It's just like Michael on the loose for real. And, the t- and it's like Michael against the town. It's this bigger theme of like society. And the third one kind of returns back to how do you deal with trauma, and the effect that trauma has. Yeah, and I think that is appropriate in a in a trilogy. It's like that seems like the logical place to be in. And then it, I think, what is working about this movie is that it adds in in framing things about the effect that this trauma has. We get to get more in depth in a character way of somebody that is new to us but involved mm. with the overarching, you know, story and the char- you know, the core characters I, of Lori and Allison. And I think that's that seems right. To right. Me. I don't know why people like I don't know why they want something else or what the something else necessarily is. So that's for them to speak about
1: um i mean there was a complaint that you had these two characters and that you didn't do them justice at all with this one or something like that or meaning allison and laurie yeah which
0: the whole movie is (laughs) that. that's what
1: right so i thought
0: do they want allison and laurie to be out there like hunting michael
1: i think it would do more with their characters. I don't know. I, I can try to find the specific quote. I it's thought this was I thought this was interesting, kind of is just echoing what you said. A Reddit user named Super Anonymous Bosch said Halloween twenty eighteen is Lori's movie. Halloween Kills is Haddonfield's movie. Halloween ends is Evil's movie. <laughs> I mean it's a fun way to That's put cool. it sure. I thought. But uh yeah I mean I thought it was so smart to have it set a few years later and actually be in a different place with Allison and Lori, mm-hmm. where you can tell, like, it's not like they haven't been affected by all they went through, but at least they feel like they've they've worked through it in that way where it's like, okay, it's nice to see, you know, Lori's just not all out drunk anymore. Right. She's like, you know, they're living together. Allison seems to be like doing well on the up and up and is really together, but not in that, like not in a way that um, speaks down to what they've been through or feels unrealistic. Uh, So you kind of, so yeah, so it's just so much better than as if we had just picked up the same night and he's just, just more just, you know, entangled fight, like whatever, that was the first movie and the second movie to an extent. So to have it sort of settle into that point, where we're at with the characters but you still have that that halloween-esque uh pervasive just foggy discomfort and evil is is somewhere yeah i thought it was yeah i thought it was, it was great coming into where we did with our characters and kind of like what you're just saying so smart to have then uh a new character be the sort of crux of that continuation of that theme because i mean what else they yeah, what they've been handled the perfect amount. I thought Lori and Allison.
0: Yeah, and I think that you, they're like we said. This is the thirteenth Halloween movie,
1: and the third one in this, which is right. It's kind of crazy to think about. Like we have, you know, with these series where they're kind of known for. They have to make bold choices somehow as they go on. Right. Whether it's like um in the Friday the thirteenth with the whole Tommy Jarvis saga and like more supernatural stuff, and then same same with Halloween, just like the choices it makes, all the the supernatural stuff with that, too. Yeah. So so you just think, what are they gonna do to keep it in the same grounded world? And I just thought they were so successful in doing that. It's incredible. I also think that there's something about the filming of this one that
0: felt even more 80s than the other two, which I loved. Like the shots of Corey on the motorcycle. <laughs> I love
1: those. Yeah.
0: <laughs> with and without Allison. Like every <laughs> single time I was like, I'm like immediately transported to this vibe from the 80s. And yep. I'm like, I'm not even sure exactly why. But it seems so iconic in such of that era. There's also, of course, the classic like long lens zoom ins that we've come to sort of be familiar with this. But it is also a trope of the 70s and 80s, that long lens uh, telephoto lens sort of, um, you know, zoom in rather than push in. Right. And and I just love the feel of it, the, the eeriness that the whole first half of the movie has because... Truthfully, there really aren't that
1: many kills in the first half of the movie, the, right? Pretty much the exact midpoint is when he um lures the, the cop, cop, right? And, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's old school, you know, sort of
1: structure. So to me also it builds that tension right. again because we've just had these two big movies, yeah. Going back to that style
0: feels like the appropriate place to be. Because if you take these movies as a quadrilogy, is that what you, how you call it? Sure. Yeah. Um, and you say that the bookends of these four movies are the 78 Halloween and now this one, you do want to feel like you're coming back to that sort of era, at least stylistically and, and sort of in in like the the feel of it all. And I think it accomplished that. And I was like really, really into that, that, how that felt.
1: It can be in subtle filmmaking ways. Like you look at, there's the big choices nowadays of how much and how much do you use uh, cell phones, iPhones mm. to good job at keeping those pretty, pretty yeah. low on the radar. And then like the COVID's the big one too. Nowadays, how much are they going right. to kind of address it or that? And it felt like it totally just kind of worked around that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, great. But it it, it worked for it. Um, I mean, and likely in small town, every town USA,
0: that is the vibe that it's not really at the front like it is in in big metropolitan er areas that of like signs everywhere and still the holdover from from those two years. Yeah, Um, because even now I'm like, I go, where was I today or yesterday? And there there are, you know, stickers on the floor. Oh, it was a Halloween store I went into, like a costume store. And they had a ton of that, like plexiglass up and like, please social distance and stickers on the floor. And I was like, oh, shit, like this place is is still in that mode when of the vast majority of everywhere else is not
1: right. And especially when you're watching this film, you see whatever this town is, you're like, yeah, this town's seems like it'd just be like this now. Yeah. Um want to read what my friend wrote when I said, "Well, what did you what did what did you like about it?" cuz I was excited that mm. someone else really liked it. And He can riff on this. Feel like he'd want to stay anonymous. Hope he doesn't mind me reading it, though. I liked how the filmmakers seemed set to make it as divisive as possible while also staying true to the themes they'd been exploring in the first two. I genuinely had no idea what to expect for about two-thirds of the movie, which is great. Loved the love story and the multiple romantic shots of the motorcycle riding. Yeah. <laughs> the opening was fucking fantastic. The darkly gruesome end with the whole town uniting to see Michael destroyed was a fitting testament to humanity's inability to resolve problems other than through violence. Yeah, it's kind of that was a big one to continue from the second one. Yeah. Loved all the obnoxious slash clever cuts between scenes.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, you know, to the point of the funeral procession. And we're like jumping, jumping <laughs> it, around. It felt here, like that, yeah. It was a funeral procession, right? Like it really was. And I think that the ritual of that and having that be the way it ends makes total sense as well and the statement of like no th- like we can't just get rid of him here we we need the town to see this and so to, to and the audience too yes this whole thing is about the effect and then the the necessary closure in order to move on which is the whole i mean really is the whole theme of this trilogy 40 years later, they still hadn't resolved anything. And that specter comes back because they can't get over it in a lot of ways. I mean, really, that's what it is. Remember that in the first one, not the original, but the the first one of this trilogy, the reason Michael gets out effectively is because two reporters can't let it go. That the specter of this event 40 years earlier is still coming back and haunting people. And so that leads to sort of a series of events that re-ups him being out and around.
1: It's yeah, and it's it's cool with this, and the how it worked out so well with the story where it's it's more than just in the sense of uh, violence begets violence. You know, things affect for time. It's definitely that through and through, but it really works having it be this later and having it be oh, uh, you know older Lor- Laurie Strode here and some of the other characters in it. In that, I, like I like to think, you know, we're we're moving further and further away, and we're evolving, for lack of a better word, into like acknowledging how violence works in this way. You can't mm-hmm. cure violence with violence, kind of thing, and that's something we talked about a lot. I'm sure with Halloween Kills and that yeah. explores of what the mob is doing and how right. anger and Group evil and violence and- proliferates all that way. Totally. Yet we have now this older generation here who's still around, still was affected by this firsthand. It almost feels like they're more allowed because they're still of this time in a way. It's like a, the idea of like the uh, an old World War Two guy hunting down one last Nazi or something sure. Some, <laughs> somehow feels like more forgivable or right, like we, right. we get it or whatever, Um well,
0: there's also this this sort of angle, too, of the... How... Let me see if I can articulate this well. Laurie represents a generational trauma, right? She is the the persona that's carrying that generational trauma. And she, as a character in this movie, is doing everything she can to... To move on from that, to find closure for herself when closure really doesn't exist. And so she's gotten a haircut and she's gotten a new house and she's she's actually therapizing through this trauma by writing about it like she's doing the work that you want to do. But the town is not able to allow her to do that fully. At least easily. They're giving her a hard time still. That's right. And so that's, again, kind of this this representation of how trauma infects everything. And it, even if you as the individual are working through it, the ripple effect still exists. And so you're not just having to, to come to terms with it for yourself. Like, you have to kind of in a way, Lori has to, her, her, she's tasked with more than just her individual self-growth.
1: Right. Well, that is that what I was so interested in of the themes set up in this one and how they're going to continue it in this one is that's why I was kind of setting up too, why it almost feels like it's more allowable for someone older to be going through these things and wrestling these things is because I'm still going, well, how... How justified is he? How much do I agree with the morality of, um, you know, the all-out violence, or just, uh, uh, you know? But then I get it immediately. It's against Michael Myers, so then just get on the head spin, and and it's mm-hmm. great. It's what you want. But um, it was just so fun. Where I was still kind of questioning by by bringing in the young dude, the like could the could be potential new Michael Myers. Right. It's sort of. Um, it's allows you get into those themes in a sort of a, a, a deeper fun looking at it from a different angle way where when you have the scene where Lori's kind of being the, the, the threatening one towards him, where it's like, I, I believe her when she says she's tra- still trying to reach out and save Corey, you know, one last yeah. hope, but at the same time she's given us the sense of like, but you better watch out, kid, because I won't hesitate to pull that trigger. Right. So she's threatening a kid with violence, it feels like, in that scene as well. Just more yeah. just kind of like riding a line of all this stuff. But like, all's to say, too, yeah, if it was a if it was just Allison versus Michael Myers, like that doesn't feel right, not just because of you know, legacy character reasons, but because of those generational reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, um Allison's supposed to be the one. Now she's getting out of this sort of caught up in a, a violent world, um, you know, um way of looking at things. Right. You know what I'm sort of saying with all this. Well, I think that one of the big, big themes that's working
0: in, within all of what we're talking about, we can you can kind of reduce down to Corey's character. So Corey is the product of two extremes, Mm -hmm. um, literally and figuratively. So he's a good kid to start off, and he has this tragic thing happen that makes the world look at him differently. He didn't really choose that. that. That's cause and effect. But he's also the product of two people that are very different, right? Like his mom seems problematic mm-hmm. and there's a suggestion at the very least that she's been quite abusive to him and so there's an effect that that has on him as well on his personality and then I guess it's his dad right or is it like
1: I thought it was his dad it seemed yeah, like it, right his dad. I, I don't
0: it didn't feel like it was explicitly his dad because of the interaction at the I the thought it was junkyard but his dad represents kindness. Whereas mom represents more um, a lack of kindness, I guess. And when he's shown kindness, he responds positively. When he's not, he responds negatively. So he's a really sort of clean representation of this binary of good and evil that he possesses both, but the tide sways him one way or the other, depending on what time of day it is in a way. Right. And like up till the end, I was,
1: I didn't know where he was going to go in the end. It was great. Yeah. And so like when he's pushed by,
0: um, not kind people, he leans toward that. And, and Lori, like you're saying, she, she kind of, uh, emboldens him too. Right, because she has that binary of of good and evil, and how do I do? Like, do I retreat and go? It's like the extremes, right? Like, do I live in the extremes, or do I try to live in in this sort of middle ground where you know you can you can have moments, but like you're it's not all or nothing. And the first movie is her basically realizing that you can't live only in that extreme. The second movie is Consequence. Right, she's and th-
1: referring it to as her prison as well. Right, yeah. and the
0: third movie is her coming to terms with that. So this, this, this binary, I'm using that term just, I don't know why, but this, this binary of good and evil, Corey really is surrounded by examples of that. And he, as a character, it, I think people are maybe mis- Interpreting what I think is the point is that he is an example of the cause and effect of Michael. He's not pure evil himself. He is he is an evil uh,
1: that is causal. Right. And and I think maybe you keep using that word binary because that is in the movie where you have later um, his no, not his dad, but the father of the kid who is killed. Remember when she's talking to him and he says, oh, well, it's there is a distinct difference between the boy I knew growing up who cut our lawn and this guy who killed
0: my son. Like that, the, the kid that he knew growing up is no longer there. And that is the effect that Michael has had on him. Now, we could totally say the supernatural effect if we want. Like, there is that moment when Michael grabs him and we see all of this trauma Mm -hmm. in sort of memory-like exchange through Michael and, and Corey. Yeah. And you can, I mean, we've seen that Stylistically it, used in the past in other films, and we can kind of infer that maybe, maybe what's going on is this spiritual supernatural. It's like transfer. suggested
1: that like Laurie may have escaped that. or at the end, like Allison says, "I'm not going to let that happen to you." Or there, there's some ideas of like Laurie could have been affected by Michael in the same way. Anyway, right? Sorry. And, yeah, and I
0: mean, I think that that's all. To me, I'm more comfortable taking it as metaphor than as literal, mm-hmm. but you, I think you can get away with taking it literal and, and be, if that floats your boat, great, go for it. Like, let that be the undercurrent that makes you enjoy the story. Mm-hmm. I'm no problem with that. It's just for me, I'm more likely to be like, oh, cool, this can actually be real and this is just a sort of a metaphorical representation of the effect that evil is having on everybody. Yeah. And I love that because even, even the end for Corey, his clumsy attempts at being Michael really show that he is not the same as Michael.
1: Right. And even for whatever fanboy I might be of the horror genre, it never broke the line of like... um, it, you, you you remember, like, at the end of the Indiana Jones 4, how they did the smart thing where it's like, everyone thinks Shia LaBeouf's gonna put on the Indiana Jones hat, then right. Harrison Ford says, uh-uh, kid, or whatever. He doesn't say that literally. He just takes it, puts on the hat. They never did what that movie didn't do either. They never, <laughs> they never like, yeah, uh, win against the sort of audience hopes and expectations of, like, yeah, they... They they didn't do that thing where it's like oh he is the new Michael Myers no. they didn't do that at all well so. and it's
0: purposeful again like the way like think about who Corey is killing and why mm-hmm. it's completely different than who and why for Michael Michael is how do we describe him in the I feel like we we came up with a pretty like good way of of talking about him but he essentially has one goal it is not just he's not killing because he enjoys killing. He's killing because he has a goal, like a linear he's, one direction. I'm heading toward Lori for this particular reason. He's
1: often referred to as the most sort of shark-like in that sense. Right. Uh, but we were talking about in terms of the last one, how it was just all about him getting to that house, which now was knocked down in this one. Right. But uh, that had been his previous kind of just aim. Yeah, and so he's, you know, he's this train in a way and if you get
0: in the way of the train you will get run over and it's not there's in a weird way there's no like intent on killing because if everybody just got out of his way i don't think
1: he'd kill anybody well it's cool how it does still live up to the monster in him though that he is just evil incarnate in some way and yes. because of the way that he feels like he's able to pass that on to someone else. It's as totally. if it is just evil incarnate trying to stay alive outside of the body. But Corey is so different,
0: mm-hmm. right? Like he thinks he wants to be this thing, but he's he's almost misusing the the power that is that is given to him in a way, in that he's selfishly just trying to get retribution to all the
1: people who beat him up. So he's a totally different monster. Yeah, well, he's he's on the side, if you sort of look at the a dichotomy of, like, one person's going to go uh, homicidal, another one's going to go suicidal, he, in the end, is suicidal. True. And you can Correct. see that. He's, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't really think a better way to put it, more emotional type in the way that we think of the word versus Michael Myers, the more... Uh, outward <laughs>
0: type in, in right. that sense. Right, well because he actually has emotion which Michael doesn't seem to have. Yeah. Like he he's spurred on by the traumas that he's had to go through and so whenever somebody like picks on him or whatever it's like he he's seeking retribution for that. Michael's never seeking retribution. Right. He's just a
1: freight train he's just going for it. Well what does it say about Corey that all the times he's saying, "If uh I can't have her, then no one can." What he meant by that in the end was i'm I will kill myself, and then for th- that just means his reality is over as he knows it right so he's in a weird way
0: he's totally opposite of Michael mm-hmm, right like he's selfish and he's i don't know self serving in a lot of ways um He's super conflicted. Michael doesn't seem particularly conflicted.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, that's, well, that's, I don't know. That's like, he's trying to kind of
0: play both sides. Like if, if Allison could get a, get him and they could leave together, would Corey, let's say before he, his first kill, would he have been able to just be
1: a person? I don't know. I don't know. I'm only thinking in terms now, too, of how they, you said they're the ways they're different, but I think they're really similar, too, where you have Michael's original pointed goal is just to exist in the space where he saw his sister having sex, right? And then where he killed her, which was mm-hmm. some form of intimacy, probably, for him. And then now Corey's just all about now running away with his new girl, too, and starting the better life. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's something I was wondering about, just sort of the, the, how do we explore the origins of Michael's psychosis, I guess, right? And the, the, the consistent refrain is that he just was evil to begin mm-hmm. with, but I don't know. I feel like we talked about this in the two movies ago probably a bit. But that, would he, I don't know. Like, what caused Michael
1: as a kid to kill his sister? See, now we're just podcasters like the podcasters in the first movie. We don't want to do that. It's just like. That's true. <laughs> but I think that there's something to it. Like, what is co- the compelling
0: force that that is throughout these films? And, like, is it, you know, if it's survival, let's say, existing, like you're saying, just wanting to exist, Um, I
1: don't know. Well, I, maybe you're getting at it is easy to forget. It's easy just to think of Michael Myers in terms of how we know him and how we see him as this behemoth monster, pure Mm -hmm. evil. But it is set up in the canonical original where he's a little kid who wanted to dress up as a clown for Halloween and just somehow, yeah, got what feels like a screw loose. It's not like... It's different from like uh, you know he's Damien the Devil Child or something. That's that's what more is easy to think of as just in, he's evil incarnate, versus yeah versus the original Halloween. Get, I mean it's it, it's the Rob Zombies movies. Maybe they do it through and through where it's a super just abusive horrible household to grow up in. Right. Um, right. So I think that's kind of what we gather from the canonical original here. But yeah. he was a. It seems like he might have been an innocent little kid at some point, which is easy to forget. I'm kind of calling myself out for.
0: Well, that's. I think that's kind of what I'm. I guess dancing around a little bit is like. I've always felt a a hesitance to like. I don't believe in the notion of evil and good in this sort of like abstract way, that it's just that that those things just are. That it's like a spectrum and they, you know, like exist, you know, one or the other because it's uh, it's subjective, right? Like how you're taught to be as a human uh, is how you determine your sense of morality. So if you're taught that killing people is moral, that's your version of being good. Mm-hmm. look at our history right (laughs) and so to me the subjectivity of good and evil is is an interesting thing to be contemplating because we as a society have kind of agreed for the most part that killing people is bad but we still do it well it's and killing other beings and and, uh, living things is theoretically bad but we have absolutely no problem
1: doing it well it's uh there's a great theme stated quote or just maybe bringing up stuff about the theme um when laurie says there's two kinds of evil there's the thing that happens that like is outside of us that threatens the tribe right Right. and then there's the thing that's inside of us so that's where she's coming from. But I feel like that's kind of like what you're just saying. That feels subjective though at the same time as explored in the previous entry, you know, that it's she the way she puts it as if it's justified for the tribe if they're threatened to kill evil outside of mm-hmm. them. Yet we know that a tribe can uh can kill the wrong person who was just innocently right, right. escaped from the insane asylum and they drove to jump off the <laughs> that's, building.
0: That's right.
1: Yeah, I think that look at the end of the day, I think all
0: of this is to say that I think there are more complex themes within these movies. And maybe a lot of people aren't either interested in that or willing to look at it, you know, yeah. just like it's not the or 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 really just just that their expectation is not to have to go into that headspace.
1: Well, look at like every almost like every kill or sort of sequence like that felt like it was immediately wrapped up with those ideas of um where to place the blame or not, or we have the bullies where even it was so nice to have Corey call the main bully out like, oh, I know why you, you know your dad right. hates you treats you this way and That's, then that escalates That is the point of the movie to me in a lot yeah. of
0: ways that singular singular statement of like, I know why you're an asshole, and it's because your dad doesn't love you in fact, he hates you. And everything's coming from that. So it is this causality thing. You know, it's like the effect that people being shitty has on the world, on the people around them, is the point in a lot of ways. And Lori is trying to come to terms with that and be like, can I grapple with that notion and be a good person? still? Like, can I move on? And the answer is really no.
1: You can't move on. She's, so she's not so much grappling with it, though. I feel like she's just come down hard in herself with uh, I, I just need to kill Michael Myers and that ends it. <laughs>
0: but that's not where
1: she starts in this movie. Mm.
0: That's what I'm saying. It's like she's having to like... The, the movie for her up until Michael actually shows up in her house is about protecting Laurie or or protecting Allison from things like Michael. Right, because that's what Allison is kind of questioning if she's helping or hurting, right? Right, and then so what I'm saying is what Laurie's really grappling with is how much does she go down the rabbit hole of presumption around who is evil or not, right? She's having this instinct
1: Actual reaction to Corey, based on her experiences, right? Which then Allison calls her out for. What mom? Are you just going on? What do you call it? This uh, intuition, da, da, da. right? Not everything is about you. Is sort grandma. of like you
0: know, right, Grandma? You know, and and that is the big turn between them in their relationship. It's like where Allison is sort of calling her out, being like, "So you're going back to this thing that was the problem in the first place." which is obsessive, you know, focus on the negative. Mm-hmm. And it, I think ultimately the journey for Laurie is to find balance between those two things, like the obsessive, you know, protective, uh, what do you call it? Like, Like being completely on guard all the time thing and letting go of that yeah you feel and,
1: that in her dialogue where she's like uh yeah i want you to go off and be have a happy life just not with him <laughs> just not with him that's all yeah, then right. coming down hard again
0: and and that notion of like trying to exert some sort of control over people is kind of the the other side of the coin of how the evil is controlling her yeah Right. And so that, that, that is this sort of push pull in her character. And in order to completely exercise that ultimately
1: she has to kill the thing that started it in the first place. Um, but just as far as that, that push pull too and how far is she willing to push things and you, how Corey sort of is a way to emblemize all that where it's not like the, of course you have to kill Michael Myers. it so it's, it's less of a um, question. Uh, yeah, how whether it's just like um the the it, it, the kids the the bullies that feel like they left Corey for dead, so then when Corey comes back to get him, it's almost we feel that like justified revenge more. He essentially just killed them, but then when Lori's uh, having her showdown with Corey, their escalation you could say leads to his death, but she's not the one right did it. So again, just getting. Just getting uh, how it's all caught up with uh, the, the the causalness, yeah, <laughs> being muddied, yeah. And so I, I, you know, I don't know.
0: I think it's great. I would watch it again, probably a bunch.
1: I watched it. Uh, so I watched it um this morning and slash last night too. <laughs> nice. Just to kind of, I don't know, just to kind of try to get some more notes down, wrap my head around it all more, see if it was different outside yeah. of theaters. I loved. Um, Corey sleeping on the same spot where oh, the kid died. I so, that's so good. <laughs>
0: right. It's, a, it's all trauma response, right? Like
1: it's so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it reminded me too, when um I loved when it's, it's sort of, yeah, perfect to get caught up in um like what I was saying earlier, how I loved that we're coming in with these characters where they've are in a place they can, have happy moments with each other yet still like you have this sad oppressive atmosphere around everything and then uh Allison being in that kind of strong place like that she gets Corey there too and you know brings him to the party and they're having fun and he's actually like having fun for once since this happened so it was Letting so great yeah this is so great to uh the moment where at his peak of feeling happy happiness at all Again, we see he runs into the mother of the child he quote unquote killed. And
0: she's so nasty about it. I like, I remember just feeling kind of sick to my stomach because I'm like, I completely get that she would feel the way she feels. Yeah. But the cruelty with which she responds to him being just
1: existing was real I was like, ugh, I don't like this. Now I don't like her. Right. Right. But I mean that's was that moment was just so good for all these themes as far as uh connectivity with with each other in terms of um then how we carry that trauma and depend on each other sort of needing empathy maybe to help yeah. us or get compassion be brought a out bit. of it. Yeah. yeah. Where, which we, the dad tries to have. Right. Well, we, we get where she's coming from when it's where it's like, Oh, I'm glad to see you having fun because I can never do it for the rest of my life because of what you did. Right. But, the, but then we know outside more objectively it's like, well, okay. Well, so then, is he never, ever, ever allowed to experience any fun ever again? Yeah, like, like that's a her problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In, the, in a way, it's like
0: she has to come to terms with living her life.
1: <laughs> can you imagine? He's just like, well, that's a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: You're like, listen, I'm going to have another beer
1: and you can fuck right off. Uh, but just so smart to bring him to that point and then have her confront him. It's, it's great. exists in that, that same scene space. Was I loved really it. Great.
0: And I, you know, he's not, this is the thing. It's like, I, his character is not super simple, right? He's very complex. His rejection of Allison's, tr- you know, compassion and, and like desire to help and not in a like in that sort of like uh, pity way, but being like, I feel a connection with you and I want to explore that and him rejecting that. He still comes back the next day, even though he kills a couple of people, but he, he comes back and he's like, I shouldn't have walked away.
1: Right, I, like yeah. he, he's
0: still throughout the movie you kind of see his um what what do you call it? His his grasp of of like right and wrong slide away mm-hmm. as he gets further and deeper into it. But like he has it. It's it's not he's not again, he's not the pure evil thing. He's a product of a lot of bad shit. Mm-hmm. And he gives into it much in the same way that the mom is giving into that negativity and that sort of despair yeah. when as difficult as I can only imagine it would be you do have to try and move on when, when you lose something and, and when tragedy happens.
1: And clearly he's affected by guilt deeply if he's like right. sleeping on that spot where the kid died. Right. Like-
0: I mean, that is, I find him to be incredibly tragic. And so I think the way they played that out, the complexity within which they play it out and, you know, the, the tragedy of his character makes for a really, really compelling story.
1: Yeah, well agreed. <laughs> so anybody who thinks otherwise is wrong. Uh, I hope we get some uh, feedback back on <laughs> this and read some other opinions here.
0: Um, That's gonna be my whole new my my whole new persona. Is I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> there are no opinions. There's what I think, and then
1: everything else is is wrong. I disagree. Oh, uh, the kills were great too the tongue of the DJ going all around on the record. Like that was so amazing. (laughs) (laughs) The, uh, just flaming the one bully with the, the The torch, the torch, torch. or yeah, that,
0: uh, (laughs) that whole sequence in the, in the scrapyard, whatever you call it was amazing. I, I love, I love, when movies give us this subtle hint and then payoff of a weapon or a, or a, a death to come with the, <laughs> the absolute asshole kid who has the drumsticks. I, the whole time, I was in a movie theater with two other people, which was great because we went, I think, at like three in the afternoon. <laughs> and so I felt fairly comfortable like whispering stuff to Brit while we were watching it. And I was like, if, if I don't get a, a drumstick through an eye or through an <laughs> ear hole, they have failed. And of course they pay it off. I was like, I ah, this is exactly what I
1: want. You're doing all the right things, guys. Yeah, Thank you. I'm thinking in terms of uh, what audiences may have been expecting and being with an audience, um, it, it got a, a good audience reaction when Lori had the moment where she was like, oh, you really think I'd kill myself? Yeah, Take yeah. that. It was, it was, I don't know, it just made me yeah, think. Yeah, Britt was like, she's not going to do that, is she? Like, she was really <laughs> in it. I was like, well, oh, we'll see. But I just wondered Be if- Be a bold move. <laughs> are, are, whoever was with me there in that crowd, was that just the one moment they liked and they hated the rest of the movie? Or are they just not the vocal ones online? I'm just, just yeah, wondering I about it all. I,
0: you know what other, another thing that jumped out to me in, in just in the visuals of it, Is the shot so I this is a thing that this is a a recurring thing in my nightmares, which is this cement tunnel space. It it can come in various forms in, in my dreams, but for some reason that type of it's almost a liminal space like so in this movie, it's the tunnel of the sewage, you know whatever you call that, the the storm drain, I guess you would call it. Uh, That cement, dark, long tunnel with like light at the end, sometimes mm, just into like total abyss of darkness in my dreams. But it's it's such an evocative thing. And there's this shot from the tunnel when Corey and Michael are like grappling with each other. That's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I just love that image, this like of the two, <laughs> these two dipshits pushing each other around because both of them don't know what the hell to do with e- themselves yeah. or with each other, right? They're just having this weird, like, shoving match. Yep. You know, and it's just, I think that feels like the movie to me, in a way, like, that it is this, like, grappling of... of Good and evil and thought and like what's right and what's different wrong generations. And, right. Yeah, exactly. Different generations. Yeah. So to me, that that whole moment just felt really, really strong and visually compelling and thematically compelling. And like the metaphors felt good. Like I just love all of it. And it's in a space that's super evocative for me because I keep seeing those spaces in my nightmares, which I'm like, great.
1: It's the perfect place to where Michael Myers has been hiding out. Oh, it <laughs> yeah. was interesting too, though, the, um, the homeless guy thought, uh, he, he was like, I'm Michael Myers. Remember yeah. in that line, just as if almost a uh, proximity to Michael Myers was contagious or right. maybe he had a similar moment where some, Some uh, evil opened up to him through some confrontation that he had. That's interesting, yeah. It also makes me think about the feeling that
0: you get when you... how do I explain this? This, How do you explain feelings? Um, uh, Internal despair that we have I think can lead to giving in to the the like the total negative negative like thought. And in a way to me it's like this dude this this guy who just, you know, quite old, right? Like he's probably been on the streets for a really long time is sort of giving into his internal despair and where he lands is to say to identify with Michael Myers to, insofar as to say, like, I've become and I am Michael Myers. I am like my own despair, my own evil. And I think that's really cool because it's it's it kind of speaks to where Corey is, right? Like he is on the path to giving into that. And yeah. Michael, again, represents the bottom in a way. Especially living in the cave, like at that point, like he is, he's the bottom of the, you know, if you, there's, there's like a scale of like the, the shadow self all the way up to like yeah. the altruistic, you know, version of, of whatever, ascension or something. Like Michael's way down at
1: the bottom. I love it when, uh, when, uh, Corey goes in. Deciding he wants the mask, and he's all, you give me that. And Michael's just, he's just standing there. When you're thinking, like, what is he doing this whole time? Is he like, Eating deer, or like, what does he spit doing with his time? But to see he's just straight up standing there was just the nice kind of like visual reminder. Michael Myers is just like an insane, just he died. that that is what he does. Yeah, you remember the 2018 the, the one? opening
0: of that movie, right? Like, yeah. he just
1: stands in the courtyard in his yep. little square. Yep, yep, exactly. Oh, it, it was great. It really um, is great. I loved that Lori did not die. Yep, I, and as a sort of yeah, things I definitely wanted from this one that did deliver: Laurie not dying, given some kind of semblance of uh, maybe yeah, having having <laughs> a, a romance with this guy too. It was oh great. Yeah. and um, seeing kind of already mentioned it, but seeing Michael Myers like get ground up. I, that that yep. not just for this story, but I feel like that's the thing we've always wanted to see in the final chapter of any horror movie yeah. ever that's a, of, or, you know, not ever, but uh, these franchises yeah. where it's all about killing the monster at the end where it's like, well, just put it in a thing that does that to yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's the blow it out. The goddamn airlock sort of version of things. Yeah. Just on earth. Yeah. 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 So to have that moment. Yeah. It was just given us, given us what we wanted ended on and then ended on the perfect note too, with the, the mask still there so as we know like they said evil will always be there in some regard yeah Yeah. okay well great. yeah let's not uh I feel like that's good to wrap up this section on of course and uh wrap it up even further or move along further with our next section what did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no something important's missing yeah. one two- okay
0: so to your point just then on the the finality of it did you like or dislike that there wasn't one last ankle grab you mean when he was on the so right before she pushes him into the grinder
1: oh no i kept
0: thinking to myself oh man she's dangerously close to this no man thing. that would
1: have totally broken the reality of all really? three of these movies for me <laughs> but would it have solidified the supernatural side of it it would have made a hard choice uh, yeah yeah it would have made an obvious like this is beyond reality it would have yeah he's definitely supernatural if after yeah. the throat slit and the wrist
0: slit, <laughs> right no, I so so to me the movie really is kind of yeah leaning in to solidify that he is still just a dude. Yeah, I mean, hey,
1: now that you mention it, that could have been I, I maybe would have liked that bold choice in a way. That could have been fun. It's like clearly, yeah, gotta remove the head. You gotta dismantle the whole body. That's right. <laughs> he is a zombie. Now, having said that, that that
0: I guess I'm sort of suggesting that that didn't work. That they didn't do that, but not really.
1: It's just like the one thing that kind of
0: I was like, oh, did they miss an opportunity? Because it was
1: a nice moment that did happen where he he starts strangling her at the end of their little fight. Right. Yeah. But. I think the
0: effectiveness, I guess I'm just going back to the thing that worked through that, uh, the effectiveness of having her stand on that platform over this thing that is the finality, that is the danger. Was enough to go, oh, shit. Is this going to happen? Is he going to come back one last time? And having him not and having her be able to push his body into the grinder safely and not get pulled in as well or at least almost pulled in <laughs> makes it feel better, right? Because it's it's a perfect setup. Set up the fear source, make us worry about it and then have it be, in this case, because it's the end, have it be resolved, have it, have it dissolve into... Positivity.
1: Wait, sorry, I just lost you. How do we get here? This is what did not work. And what I you know saying?
0: what I'm saying is because of him not coming back and grabbing her. My initial thought is that that
1: potentially didn't work, but now you're OK with it. But I'm OK
0: with it because of the, of the
1: effect it had on. OK, us. Um, the only little thing I had, which is the kind of it's at the level of I feel like I can't hold it against this film at all. Where okay, so I thought it was really smart to have her writing the book and that narration because it allowed for this kind of um, tone and speaking about things in these terms that is true to the series of Mm -hmm. sort of this like poetic grandness and speaking about things in terms of good and evil and whatnot like that that just worked for me in the form of her writing and book because you would. You speak that way when writing a book. Um, but I, I kind of like how a lot of people, I, you know, were bugged by the evil dies tonight refrain in Halloween Kills, which, which for me, I'm like, no, that is how these mobs work. It, it totally worked. Yeah, certain lines in, in this one where, you know, where someone would say, oh, he was possessed by evil when a dude kept saying, oh, if I can't have her, no one can. Where even though that kind of dialogue in terms of thinking feels true to the series, you just you just don't have Donald Pleasance. And it it just does he's the one that made all that work for the originals. It's he keeps popping up at like all the sequels till he passed (laughs) away, which is great. But he was like, God, I can't think of many actors who can do that Mm. kind of thing. But he was one of them and to sort of yeah, completely keep this 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 sense of it could be in our reality. You need a Loomis to sort of pull off that kind of right dialogue or just ways of of describing something. And so it's cool that I don't know. I just have to sort of remind myself. At points in this one where it's like, okay, right. Well, this is true to Halloween, but it just maybe isn't clicking because we don't have um a Donald Pleasance mm. this time around, unfortunately. Which is a minor complaint, and it's hard to hold against the movie because we don't have him anymore. Right. But uh this is something I was aware of. Yeah, my only
0: really it's very thin, I guess, but and and I know why it is the way it is. It's sort of a a matter of efficiency and storytelling that you're trying to get into a 2 hour movie um the turn that Allison's character has to like really being upset with Lori and being like I'm out of here felt quick where i'm like oh shit like she's actually like really throwing it in Lori's face and i felt i was like is that does this feel right it feels rushed it feels a little out of character for for Allison, mm-hmm. um, maybe there just wasn't quite enough build up of them having like a rift between them.
1: I feel like you have to be pretty plugged into their uh their motorcycle love story to <laughs> just kind yeah. of be on board with where yeah. she is.
0: Well, I don't want to diminish her as a as a dimensional character by saying she was just you know wrapped up in motorcycle love. Isn't
1: that... But I mean, I get it. I'd get that, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I just... It seemed
1: difficult to
0: buy, I guess, fully that she would turn on Lori in the way that she does. I just was like, this... From all the things... Maybe what it is is that they're... that That... If there was one other scene, just one scene where like the specter of Judy Greer kind of was the topic of or or, or the source of some conflict between Laurie and Allison, that like something, it's a wedge, right? And it could have been placed in there by Corey, but like to have just a little bit more history wedge shoved in between them may have made
1: me not feel quite like oh damn just to remind us yeah just to remind us that um allison's probably coming from a place where her mom would at any given point more than laurie would yeah like not to be cliche and i
0: don't think you want to do this exactly and i don't think they really did this but In a way, you want the scene where she's like, you're not my mother. My mother's fucking dead because of you, which they kind of almost do. But it's I I get why as a writer, you don't do that. Like that's too on the nose and too cliche. But that's the sentiment, I think, of that is kind of where you could have gotten a little bit more uh, leeway in understanding why she's so quick to be like, I'm out of here with this dude. (laughs) <laughs> fuck you Lori sure fuck you, yeah, Grandma. I get
1: that so but um, honestly that's
0: like my only complaint
1: all right then let's uh, move on last section here things of note,
0: things of note. <sighs> this should be interesting
1: something fun I noticed watching it a second time through was uh, the first line. I guess the movie was when um, Corey shows up to babysit. The mom says, Corey, you're a lifesaver is the first line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, I think
0: I really think Danny McBride and the this writing team are really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fan of uh, I, Danny, I Danny McBride. McBride. He's yeah, fucking hilarious. In the grocery store scene where um they're talking about veggies and meats and having their meat cute, uh, don't fear the reaper, which plays mm-hmm. for the end credits is playing, but in a muzak style. Mm-hmm. It's funny. <laughs> um, I really this is maybe another kind of borders on what worked. I mean, yeah, it's it's easy to say, sort of simple, easy to say how oh it's 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 good how this. How these films, this film uh portrays like an older woman a certain way and just putting her in a certain light that, you know, isn't the frail, helpless old woman or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And um I, I just I just noticed how it, it was doing that though in a way that's more than intellectual to actually kind of experience it in a movie, which is just so important. Like I just kind of was aware of my own bias in a way where I just feel like it's it's sort of this trilogy as a whole has almost helped shift where like by the end of this one when they're having their their fight like I've gone from maybe more of a default like oh yeah older people older women they're you know this sort of frail immediate feel to them when really it should be like anyone who has heft and is still healthy i'm like no she's she feels sturdy to me like she looks mm-hmm. older with gray hair or whatever but like she now this someone like this feels like a just a sturdy being <laughs> versus just inherently frail but still it's great you're having her look like a grandma cutting up the uh jack-o'-lantern like it's carving <laughs> the jack-o'-lantern it's fun yeah so i just checking up on that checking in on that and how that was um it's cool, just in a more experiential way. I think helps, uh, like a, a, a visual way, helps to sort of change those biases, biases, whatever. Yeah, agreed. Is are you just reading something? Uh, no, I am not. I just have nothing to <laughs> nothing to add. Uh, well, I got a question for you then. Okay. How could you continue? These films, because this is another case of where I just don't feel like you should. <laughs> in our day and age, well, when you say continue, it mean rebooting it again, whatever, doing new Halloween movies. I just, I don't know. I just wouldn't. I just right? Wouldn't
0: I? Would uh, if I was? I mean, the problem I think always comes up with ownership of IP and the potential loss of that ownership if you don't make a new one. A lot of contracts are like that, and then that sort of yeah, forces Yeah, but creatively speaking,
1: whatever. Yeah. I, uh,
0: creatively, I wouldn't do it. Right. I just wouldn't do it. I, if I was a writer trying to or a filmmaker trying to make a Halloween movie, I would make it about something else. I wouldn't make a Halloween. I wouldn't continue this franchise. I would try to come up with something new. As far as it's a slasher film yeah, set at Halloween. Yes, exactly. Uh, I I agree. I and, think you can. You know what you can do is you can imbue your story with elements that work from this franchise, yeah. or even nods. Like I love homage.
1: I I I pose that question feeling like you couldn't actually answer it until, you know, ten years from now, right? Kind of thing. But I I kind of want to get at it with. Uh, since I can't talk about James Bond normally on this <laughs> this podcast, I'm going to kind of use that as an opportunity where that was my first question. Like the other, I mentioned, I, is another one I saw. Groundwinds Chinese had a great time here. I was super into all the Daniel Craig Bond movies. Yeah. Going like when it ended, how? Okay, wait. How would they reboot James Bond? Because it feels like the whole the new Craig movies were sort of about getting James Bond like caught up with our modern world Mm -hmm, in a mm -hmm. way, right? Like he's, he's gone through that and great, great. Do that for the better. And also there are just some subtle things in it like that connect to the way I was talking about violence and being portrayed now as a viable option. And also in terms of like, uh, You know, having bad guys in the world, like thinking James Bond, you know, yeah, the 80s movies and even through the 90s movie, it's all great to have it kind of be like it can be hokey, just whatever they're the Soviets. And it's more like a it's more. Yeah, it's more like in in movie comic book terms, you know, Mm -hmm. it's all good and fine. But by the end of this last James Bond movie, when he's like running up the staircase, fighting off the guards it's like when he shoots them it's like you hardly see their faces. It's almost like these people he's killing are sort of become non-people. It's just yeah. about the action and it's kind of just like overlooking this question now of you can't just like I don't know, portray people as just bad guys if you're trying to be that realistic anymore. So I'll say yeah, I think uh I think this now we're in a similar boat. Where something like Halloween, it feels you'd have to start from a very, very modern place in a way. Um, so I just, yeah, I just don't even know if you could or should right now. And I have two, I have two opinions about
0: what you could or what I would like to see in terms of James Bond. I think they should start. They should continue the the through line of this franchise that you know Daniel Craig is now dead his character is dead and call it 007 and have it be about the position and have Lashana Lynch who was amazing in, in no time to die carry on the mantle and it's not a James Bond movie anymore it's a 007 movie and have that go wherever it needs to go I think she apps a 100 billion percent can carry a franchise because she's fucking amazing and then I would also do a reboot of James Bond, the character, and put it in as a period piece.
1: Tim, that's my idea, too. That, I was I think, like, do it, James Bond as a
0: period piece. Yes, go back to the, you know, I don't know, go back to either World War II or even World War I and, and make it about the... I don't need to see him as a young dude, but I want to see the... The sort of uh, evolution of the position through him.
1: Yeah, I want to see, see
0: gadgets and spycraft exactly in that, in that more antiquated way.
1: I want to see it basically like doing reboots of the early uh, uh, Sean Connery ones yeah. of having it set in that kind of like early '60s, like sure. transitional
0: time. I I'd would go love even that. further. I think I'd go into the '40s or '50s to start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. and then you, you know like you get to see it from this almost the original intention too right like the the Ian fleming novels they seem like they take place
1: well, anyway in the that's 50s-ish. why so so now since that is the my idea too that i've had for how to reboot james bond i don't think we're alone in that you know there's a, I there's
0: a school of people who i think are wanting that
1: well you're the first one i've heard i've been trying to spread the yeah. gospel or t- t- to pitch it to people i can't remember
0: which guide it is but there's a podcast called um oh shit
1: well anyway that's why i'm They've now thinking from okay so can you just apply that across the board to things like in this case halloween have it be a, just a 70s set movie again and is that mm. at that point is that almost redundant because then we do have the original halloween in this
0: particular case, I think it becomes redundant because, in the James Bond sense, I think that there's leeway to go even further.
1: Well, James Bond, it's like we have so God, much of so it, many. it is about the technology, not just that's in the movie, but how it's made. Like we mm-hmm. can do scenic right, shots right. better, action shots better, you know, just like all that. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. But, but that original I, I don't, I don't atmosphere, see- yeah. Another Halloween. Like, I don't want more of this. I don't either. So maybe that, you know, in 10 years or something will feel differently. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it's just depending on the state of the world and all that. If uh, explorations of evil in terms of Mike, what how Michael Myers embodies that are actually pertinent still in some yeah. in, interesting way, but I, I mean, don't this, know.
0: To me, this is such an interesting, weird thing to contemplate, too, because like, for example, I read Clockwork Orange when I was in high school, and I was like, oh man, this is amazing. I love this book, even though the author has sort of famously said it's his worst book and um, that he hates it. He hates that people like it. Um, but I remember thinking as a young film kid that I was like, I really like Stanley Kubrick's version of it, but it's not very similar to the version in my head when I read the book. <laughs> And I was like, damn, I want I would love to remake a film version of A Clockwork Orange. But in saying that, it seems completely absurd. (laughs) Right. Like you're going to remake a Stanley Kubrick. No, you're going to adapt a book. Right. But like you're you're bound, you're tied in a weird way to this thing. Right. Like this. Like when. I mean, that happened with The Shining. Exactly. Exactly. And so I'm, you know, when I see the examples of times that it's been done, I, my first reaction is to be like, oh, that should just never be done. But then we get this trilogy of Halloween movies, which in a way are kind of doing it, not exactly, but they're doing that thing, like revamping this, this franchise in this case. and. And it completely works. So I, I don't know. I really don't know. Like if somebody can show up and do another Halloween movie that is its own thing, but still holds true to like why Halloween movies are great. I guess. Sure. Just. Uh, yeah. Call
1: skeptical as of now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or curious, at least. Yeah. Open-minded, I mean, we watched but... Rob
0: Zombies versions of it and I thought they were OK. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't the right person. I, You know, like maybe the right person comes along and nails it. Great. But for now,
1: I would not touch it. Well, speaking of uh, the Shining reboot and its <laughs> director, Mick Garris, who has the podcast Postmortem with Mick Garris, I was sure to oh, listen yeah. to Jamie Lee Curtis's episode that just came out. Ooh. And it was just fun to hear at the end, kind of closed out the interview where she was getting uh, very teary eyed. Just about how much uh, Lori has given her, as well as um, just being feeling connected with how much Lori has meant to so many people, as far Mm. as just a sort of icon or character, and just feeling really in touch with that. And she was getting very moved by all that. And not only was that just nice, fun to hear, but just kind of struck me... Um, about how we're always checking up with the value of horror films and to think we've just had this trilogy or this whole, you know, 13-film th- series, whatever. It's all about some sort of possibly evil incarnate being, and it's just being, and it's just cool that the positive inverse can come out of that, mm. you know, mm-hmm. of just her sort of, yeah, making just reminding me of how, you know, much uh people can kind of get a sense of hope or or thinking better of themselves or help getting help overcoming struggle whatever it may be through these sort of icons of horror and laurie being a big one but how that's only possible if something is about just horrific horrific evil in a way or can uh inversely be proportional to that that's what i was looking for so anyway that was cool to hear that's great yeah great nick garris is cool I agree. Yeah, it's a good show. He's a very strange dude. Yeah. I like his style though. <laughs> yeah. Were you seeing him in the uh the interview show that oh, yeah. you're watching? Yep. Okay. Great. <laughs> um That's talk about. Cool. All right. Well, we can wind down here uh with some recommendations. I'll uh, recommend dead. I got a big list. I've been seeing a lot of good things, but I'll start with um Anna Lily Amirpour's new film. I don't think I recommended right. that last time. Yeah, Mona Lisa and the Blood Moon. It was great. You like her movies? Check it out. Go go. Uh, rent it. Support it. It's, this is my favorite of hers yet. Cool. That's great. Um, I've been watching the
0: hundred and one scariest horror movie moments of all
1: time. That's what I meant. If you're that seeing Mick Garris there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's in it a bunch. Um,
0: I am. I think on episode six. Maybe I'm on five. Either way, it's really fun. I would just, I guess, warn you that you're gonna get spoiled if you haven't seen, you know, some of these movies. So I kind of try to be a little, like, n- navigate around those if I if I haven't seen it and I don't want to be spoiled. But it's really well done. It's so funny. I, we're sitting there watching it, and I'm like, I know like six of the interviewees personally. Cool. It's so weird to see people that you I mean, it's amazing. I love it I, that there are these, you know, there's a bunch of people on there um, that I've either met or, uh, you know, in, in still in contact with and like, damn, I I want to get on one of these shows and talk about horror films. It looks so fun. Well, we're doing it here. Tim. That's right. So if you're still here, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, the show's really fun. It's really well produced. And I agree with a lot of their takes on it. It's it's a good
1: ride. Cool. Great. Uh, Well, we'll see what we're back with uh, two weeks from now. Mm -hmm. But we hope everyone joins us then in closing. uh, Whether Halloween has ended or not, thanks for listening. And we will see you next time. Goodbye.